live. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Be Real podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Demiria. I'm so excited to have you this Tuesday morning. Hope you guys are staying cool being in the house for I don't know how many months it is I've lost I've lost track. I'm so excited for our next guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Dr. Grace Lee. Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, Michelle, it is my pleasure to be your guest. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. We're, we're so excited to have you on this morning. Um, why don't you tell our listeners a little about yourself? Sure, absolutely. I'm originally from Hong Kong. And I'm currently based in Vancouver, Canada, where I have been living for the past 15 years. I came to Vancouver initially to do my PhD. So I have a PhD in neuroscience. And it was my dream actually to stay here. So I did. <laughs> so I've been here 15 years since. It's been lovely. I run a business out of my home. My business is Mastery Insights, where I teach entrepreneurs how to get into what I call the two comma club. And there's two commas in a million. So I show them the systems and processes that I use to grow my business and to make income serving the people that they were meant to serve. And on the flip side of that, I also teach, I also uh, help uh, career professionals on elevating their career and achieving vocational confidence. So it's about mastering their professional destinies or transitioning into entrepreneurship if that is what they choose to do. And I love what I do and I'm passionate about it. So it's great to be chatting with you and your listeners. Well, thank you so much. Again, guys, no, uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask us uh, through our Facebook page, and I will send them over to Dr. Lee throughout the episode today. Again, anything related to mental health or entrepreneurship, I know that I've been reading a lot. A lot of people are ready to dive into entrepreneurship, and it, it can be scary. It can be a little difficult. So do you have any tips for people that to mentally prepare for the next chapter in their life as, as they do dive in into entrepreneurship? Well, it's really important, first of all, that it is really what you want, right? It's not because of all those shoulds, you know, I should be doing that. I think I have to because of, you know, what my parents valued or, or, a, or an, or an outside, external authority. It's really important we know the reasons why we're doing it and what are the reasons and is it what we truly value. Authentically, at the end of the day, if we knew we couldn't fail and if we didn't care what other people thought, and if the only competition that we had was a competition of our previous selves, is this a path that we would choose? So that's the first important thing. And then it is also to submit to a teacher. You know, one of the, one of the greatest things about um, how to fast track your way to success is to learn from someone who has the success that you want, right? Because they can see things that you can't see and they can challenge you to become more because they see potential in you that you cannot see. Right. So it's not just encouragement, but it's also they can they can pave the way to success in a way in ways that you you can't see yet. And I always say that the only reason why that we don't have the things we we desire in our lives or we don't yet have the things that we desire in our career. The only reason why is, is because we haven't become the person to be able to achieve those things. So mentorship is always crucial for that. And really asking ourselves, what is it that we need to learn in order to get to where we want to go? Now, as you know, as an entrepreneur, we tend to work more hours than we should. Um, we tend to forget we have lives outside of work. Do you have any tips or tools for people who might end up getting burnt out when it comes to, I got to answer 900 emails and I'm in bed at three o'clock in the morning? I always say that when you work, see, when I work, I work hard. But when I play, I also play hard, right? So it's really important to know that it's very important, first of all, to love what you do. 
because then work isn't going to burn you out. I mean, one reason why people get burnout with work is because they're not inspired by what they do. And if it's 100 emails you're answering and you're not inspired with doing that, well, you can think about, well, who can do that? Who can I onboard in my team to do that for me? Or who can I, who can assist me in doing this, all of these repetitive uh, tasks that I don't enjoy? Can I, can I make my life easier by outsourcing that? Can I make my life easier by automating that, by delegating that? So that's one thing. And the other thing is that sometimes we realize that sometimes there are things about a thing like entrepreneurship that we, that we need to do because that is the path to success. So then it's realizing that it's on the way and it's not in the way to achieving what we want. And that is really that when we have that connection to it, then we can feel inspired to do it. Has it been tough staying home these multiple months and not being able to go out and see your friends and see your family? Has it impacted you mentally or have you been able to find ways to cope with living, breathing, working from home literally 24-7 if you think about it? (laughs) Yeah, it's true. But, you know, even before COVID, I was running a home-based business. And so even during COVID and with the quarantine and with the crisis, I don't, I was not coping. There is no coping because I genuinely love what I do. And they can, they can say you have to stay home, right? They can say that you have to quarantine for 14 days or 30 days, depending on, on, on the circumstances, but they cannot, they can control that physical aspect of it. But there's one thing they cannot control, which is the more important part. And that is my mindset, the perspective I have on my situation and my event. Right. And so it's kind of like saying, if you look at the real, when you can shackle someone, you can shackle someone physically by putting handcuffs on them and keeping them in, in a certain place, or you can shackle their mind, which is worse of the two, right? But the thing is, we have a choice on how we see it. We have a choice on how we, the perspective we have on our, on our life, and that's actually the more impactful of the two. So I don't see myself as coping. I certainly don't see uh, staying home or, or having to stay safe at home. I don't see those things as in the way of having the life that I want or having the freedom that I want because the freedom comes from within. I heard you touch on mindset. Do you mind going a little deeper into that and like how people can use that when overcoming obstacles in their life? Sure, absolutely. So mindset is really, is really determined by our perspectives, the way we see things, the way that we witness an event or situation in our lives, we will automatically assign a meaning to it. Our brains are meaning-making machines. Whatever we witness that happens outside of us, we see something happen or we hear something, someone say something, automatically and subconsciously, our brains put a meaning to it. We tell ourselves a story on what it means, right? And so that, that story or that, that, thing we tell ourselves creates a feeling inside of our heart. And that feeling would either be anxiety or anticipation. And that feeling results in an action. So feelings feelings result in functions, what we do about it. If we're anxious, the function is like procrastination or the function becomes, I'm fearful of doing this thing. And so we hold off on it. We retreat back into our comfort zones. And that's what happens as a result of anxiety or fear. But if the feeling that it creates is anticipation, then it gives us more energy to do what we want to do or energy to do what we need to do. And we can't wait to do it, right? We do it with fervor, with anticipation, kind of like on Christmas morning, we have so much energy, we can't even sleep the night before, right? So really it's all around being, having that level of awareness of what is the story that I'm telling myself? What is the meaning that I have put on this event that I just saw? 
or this thing that happened in my life right now, what is the meaning that I am telling myself about it, right? And that creates the feeling. So we have to take, so it's not enough just to say, here's how I feel about it. I, how, do I, how do I change my feeling? We can never think our way into a different feeling. We can't think our ways into being more positive or we can't think ourselves into, into being, you know, more, more, more happy. We can't, we can't think ourselves like that. We have to go to the root of it, which is really stories we tell ourselves. And the most impactful story on our lives and on our mindsets are usually the stories we don't even remember. We don't, we don't, we're not even aware that these stories are happening, that these meanings are being created. And that is the mindset, just simply knowing that that is the mechanism that is, is human nature. Just simply knowing that, having that awareness is the first step. What's next after awareness? Now, after like I, I'm aware of the situation, how do I kind of get start going through that process of, okay, how do I tackle this so I can be happy and be able to not go back into my comfort zone when I'm, when I'm struggling or I feel like I'm going to fail? Yep. So then if sometimes some people can process it themselves. But if you find that you cannot process it yourself, it's good to process it with someone, with someone who understands the process or who understands mindsets and perspectives. Because you see, our perspectives form our entire world, not just part of our world. They shape our entire world, the way we see the entire world around us. And if we change our perspective, we can change our entire world. So the first step is awareness. The second step is being intentional around uncovering what is the meaning I really put to this event what's happening or not happening in my life right now, or what I heard someone say, or what I didn't hear them say. What, what is the story I have been telling myself? Because that's what's been repeatedly creating the same emotions. And then what happens later is that those we store as memories. And then in the future, if there's an event or situation or words that were spoken that remind us of that event, of the original event, then it creates a trigger. And we have those trigger events, which, which are called trigger events, and it reproduces the same feeling, which is why oftentimes we have default behaviors, default patterns of behavior, and it's hard to break out of them if we don't understand the root cause of it. Now, it's interesting you say that because with PTSD, we have triggers. And for me, smells are a big trigger for me. Um, masks are a big trigger for me. I wear them to protect my family and friends, but my attacker covered my mouth through the whole ordeal. So wearing that mask is a huge trigger for me. And I go to stores and I'm in panic mode because I have this mask on and I feel so unsafe. So you're right. I literally, the whole time I'm in that store, that's all I see replaying in my mind is that episode of, of what happened to me when I was sexually assaulted. And that's a completely understandable, you know, so first and foremost, it's understanding that there's nothing wrong with you and it is normal, like it is understandable and it is, uh, it is relatable to have those feelings and those triggers, you know, but if we want something different, if we want a different outcome, then it's going through and be willing to go through the process of going back to the original event. And it's actually oftentimes quite painful. The process is not easy, but it is worthwhile. It's not easy. You're right. I'm on the second rape right now with my counselor because I was sexually assaulted twice. And so I'm on the second one right now. And you're right. It is very, very painful because the second one was worse than the first one. And I think that's the hardest part. And I think that's why people tend to not want to ask for help because they're afraid of what they're going to remember during that time. Do you have any suggestions or tips for people when they're in that 
mode of I don't want to remember. I, I just want to bury it. And I, you know what, and I just want to acknowledge that if you're feeling that way, there is nothing wrong with that because it is, you know, obviously we want to avoid pain. Nobody would choose to have to keep pain in their life. Nobody would choose to revisit an event that's difficult, right? So that's very understanding, right? That's, that's very understandable. And as a person with empathy, I can empathize with that, you know, because we all have had trauma in our life that we don't care to revisit again. We kind of just want to move on from that. And so the to overcome that that feeling when we know that this is the process we have to go through, but we can't over overcome that barrier of, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to go there again. The, the one way to do that that's really effective is to really, again, go back to the reason why. Why am I doing it? You're not doing it because you just want to inflict pain or hurt yourself. You want to do that because you see what's on the other side. So then it's about creating a vision, a very clear vision of the outcome you want to create for your life. What does it look like? Exactly what do you want to feel like? Every day in your life, and once you have overcome this, what are the feelings that you want to produce for yourself on a daily basis? And then you work hard at feeling those feelings again. Let's say, for example, you want to feel beautiful. Let's say, just for example, I, you say to yourself, I want to create, I want to make sure that from when I overcome this, heart, this trauma, that every day I want to feel beautiful then it's going back to the feeling of what does feeling beautiful feel like? And then you think of a time in your past where you actually, where you felt beautiful. And if you look hard enough, you will find it. The reason why you want to feel beautiful, if that's me, I want to feel beautiful is because I've once felt beautiful and I want that again. And I want more of it, right? We wouldn't choose to feel this certain way if we've never felt that way before. And so it's about creating a vision. What does it look like? What does it feel like? And then feeling for those, feeling those things in our minds and our imagination is the most powerful tool. You see, there is a, a part of our brain called the RAS, the reticular activating system, where because of that part of our brain, we cannot tell the difference between what's real and what's imaginary. And so we can take advantage of that part of our brain by visualizing something so real and creating the result in our mind before it happens with imagination and our brain can't tell the difference between real and imaginary. So if we do that often enough, we create a cycle of success and then we create a cycle of success and that cycles and it multiplies with time and with, with that practice. Right. And so if we understand what's on the other side of the overcoming, what's, and we are so clear of it because we can visualize it. What's on the other side of that going back to that pain, then we know our why and it becomes less daunting. So I just received a question for you. What do you think about staying where your feet are, staying in the present moment? Staying in the present moment? It says, what do you think about staying where your feet are, staying in the present moment? Okay. So there's two things, two sides of that. Like we, we hear that, we hear that term, right? In, in, in social media and in popular the popular words is you got to be present, stay in the present, right? And if it is about mindfulness, if it is about the mindfulness and being mindful of where we're at, then yes, that is applicable, right? Be present, right? Be present to those you are with so that they can feel that you love them, so that they can feel that you're connected to them. That is being part of mindfulness. However, when it is applied in the wrong situation, for example, being present, but the present that you're being present to is not one that you desire, right? Then that does not make sense. 
right? You have to, there, there has to be another layer of, okay, not just taking literally in every situation being present. Mindfulness, it makes sense. But if looking at what you're being present to, if what you're being present, if the present that you're being present to is one you don't desire, is one that you don't want to continue, then it's about how do I change the present by moving towards the future that I want. And so that is where you can look and design that destiny in your mind so clearly so that every step you take is moving you closer to that goal. Wow. I hope that answers your question. That, that, that does. And that, that was one of the questions one of our, uh, our listeners was, had asked me on our Facebook page. But how do you put all this into a relationship? Like, let's say you have a relationship with a friend and you know, you're still grieving, you're still going through the process of healing. How do you explain to them what you're going through? But at the same time, you're afraid of them saying, I understand, it's okay, just get over it. How do you how do you bridge that gap to have them understand, but also you're worried about them overcompensating to try to help you? So here's the thing. We cannot control what other people will say or how they will react to what we say. The, the fact is we really cannot control that. And oftentimes well-meaning friends and family, well-intentioned friends and family, friends and family who genuinely love us could say things that are unhelpful right? because everyone approaches the world through their own lens, through their own values. Right? And so we want, we, we want to go to our friends and family for help because we feel the most comfortable with them. Right? We feel that we feel the most comfortable in being vulnerable in front of them because they know us and they've seen us at our worst times. They've seen us at our best times. So it seems like they're, they're the go-to. We want, we want them so much to understand, but there's that part of us that if we've been through a trauma that they have never gone through, if we've been through something in our lives that our friends and family have not gone through, we have to have compassion for them that it's actually very difficult for them to be empathetic. We have to, as the trauma victim, as the trauma experiencer, I wouldn't say victim, let's not use the word victim here, as the trauma experiencer, right, we have to have compassion that our friend or our family member may not actually be able to empathize if they've never experienced trauma like that. And I know because I've, I've, I've had a lot of trauma in my childhood and a trauma that none of my friends understand. Right. And so it's about expectations as well. When I talk to my friend, what am I expecting? And is that expectation something that they can meet? Right. And that is operating out of compassion to them. And at the same time, yes, I do want that comfort. I do want that. But is that is that the space to do it? Right. And if not, then is there someone else that I can go to? Maybe they don't know me as well. Maybe we're not hangout buddies, but it doesn't mean that they're unable to give us the compassion that we seek or to, to give us the advice that, that we can relate to. So those are some considerations when we want to reach out to family and friends. And I, I understand that it's, it can be disappointing or maybe sad if we're like, well, how come even my, my closest friend you know, I can't even share that with them because they overcompensate. How come, you know, and so therefore that's a meaning right there that we're assigning to it right there. If we feel that way, then we catch ourselves and say, oh, that's the story I'm telling myself. The story I'm telling myself is that because they're my best friend, that they should be able to help me with it. And is that story true? 
well, it isn't. It hasn't been in my case because none of my friends have gone through the trauma that I have and they haven't been able to know what to say, you know? And so they just say what they, the only thing they know how, and really it was the only thing they know how was it's going to be okay. And that's not what I needed to hear. Right. But I have compassion. That is really the only thing they knew how to say. And it, with their best effort, that was their best effort. And so if, you know, I'm looking for something different, then I have to have that, that cross check. What is the story I'm telling myself? And is it true? I hope that was helpful. It, it was. Is it better to sometimes go with a lower expectation if you're talking to someone for the first time? So that way, when you leave that, you know, meeting or that outing, you're not like, oh my gosh, I just wasted that part of my life I can't get back is it better to kind of go in there with a little bit less expectation versus they're going to know the answers they're going to be able to solve the entire problem so I always say that it's good practice to lower expectations and raise appreciation right lower expectation and raise your appreciation because appreciation lends itself to gratitude and gratitude really does wonders for us right gratitude is good for our mental health and gratitude allows us to seek the truth because when we are in true gratitude and not just saying it, but we're living gratitude, that's raising our appreciation, then we can see the truth for what it is. We can see, and the truth is different from what's true. True is different from truth. What's true today may not be true tomorrow, but truth will always be true, right? Truth is, that's the difference is that it stands the test of time, right? Truth is always going to be true. Right. So then when we are in gratitude, that's what the space, the headspace that we need to be in in order to see the truth and the truth will set you free. It will make you free. Right. Because we find truths about ourselves. We find truths about human nature. We find truths about mental health. We find truths about processes. We find truths about psychology. We find truths about other people and the truth will always set us free. And the reason why it does set us free is because right now, when we don't feel free, we have these stories we're telling ourselves that aren't necessarily true in that moment or in any moment. And yet we, we try to, to attain the things that we want to attain. But with that story, the meaning we assign for it is not helping us. And so when we are in gratitude, we seek and we find the truth. And then we all of a sudden, we are let go and free from those unhealthy expectations or from those unhelpful stories or those those hurtful meanings that we assign to it wow you know i've never i do i do a lot of research because as i shared with you you know having ptsd it's difficult because each situation is different and i have never looked at it from this point of view usually i do a lot of journaling journaling has been like my best friend i journal every single day and that's kind of what keeps me going when i can't talk to my support group and, and I, I'm in that moment of crisis so to speak but I'm and I just need an out and so my out is, is journaling is that have you noticed if has journaling been helpful when it comes to mindset as far as getting over those bad memories or is there another type of outlet we could use besides journaling so journaling is helpful and and one of the biggest reasons why journaling is helpful is because sometimes the thoughts that you really need to get out are not so appropriate to say in front of someone, especially not the person who offended us, 
right? It could be that way. If it was a friend who offended us or who, who, who hurt us, sometimes the true thoughts we have in our head that we really want to say in front of them are going to just destroy the friendship or they're just not appropriate. And so journaling is, is good to get those thoughts out and to help us to process the meanings we're assigning the story, the event or the situation or the stories we're telling ourselves about that event or about that other person and helps us to process and to seek the truth. So journaling is helpful for that. And it also provides us an avenue to imagine. Because you see, when we write something down, a lot happens in our brain. When we talk, there's a neural network that is used for speaking. There's a different set of neural networks that is used when we are writing. Right? And there's a lot of neuroscience research that shows that if we want to learn something, if we want to retain, if we want to hear something for the first time, we only retain 20 to 25% of what we hear. And then we, that's, that's it, 20 to 25%. But if you want to increase that up to 70, 75%, then you write it down. Right? And so writing creates a different neural, it activates a different neural network. And so sometimes when we are writing, we're also learning about ourselves. We can learn about ourselves and what we truly are thinking, what truly is our thought process. And, it, and, and, and then we can filter out what parts of this are helpful to me, what parts of this are harmful to me, and what parts of this do I want to seek help for? Wow. Um, you know, that's one thing I love about meeting new people is I always get a different perspective on things. And I think in mental health, that's so important because if you just focus on one avenue, you're going to miss out on so many other incredible opportunities to help you grow as an individual. You know, a lot of people who have been diagnosed with a mental illness, as much as I don't like that word mental illness, they are afraid to live in a sense that they're afraid to be their, their full selves. And I think it's important for people to understand you can still have a full life, you know, get married, have kids, have the job you want. And I think that's important for people to understand. So do you have any tips or tools when people are, you know, first being diagnosed and they're like, okay, where do I go from here? So about the diagnosis, I did a lot of research during my PhD uh, around mental, mental health and the diagnostic indicators of mental health, depending on what they are diagnosing, right? And a lot of it has changed over the years. And a lot of it is based on, you know, anecdotal stories from the patient and from their family members. And it's based on indicators, you know, indicators that are based that are on research of interviewing a lot of people. So, right. So it's, it's statistical in some ways. Right. But one thing that I, I learned um, after studying the ethical implications of a mental health diagnosis, right. So I studied ethical implications. One thing that I learned in the field of neuroethics Right. So that's 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 the field. I was in neuroethics. One thing I learned was that a diagnosis, a formal diagnosis really puts inside the person, the individual who's receiving that diagnosis. It gives them this identity. Right. And there is a stigma attached to receiving a formal diagnosis as well. And it gives them an identity that they did not ask for. And so subconsciously, they assume the identity of, for example, I am sufferer. I am a PTSD sufferer, or I am a fill-in-the-blank victim, right? So that's the identity. And the identity piece does a lot subconsciously. And remember, our subconscious minds are infinitely more powerful than our conscious minds. 
we do not behave in a way that is inconsistent with our subconscious programming. So the diagnosis gives us a subconscious identity. But the thing is, we are not our diagnosis. We are not our diagnosis. We are not the mental illness. We are not our mental health. We are much more expansive than that. Our consciousness is constantly expanding. It is limitless potential out there. And it is not shackled by or confined by a mental illness or a mental health, right? It is not. And so, so let's take, for, so to illustrate my point, let's give, let me give you an example of two identities. One identity is smoker. Another identity is marathon runner. So for people who identify themselves as a smoker, they would say, for example, if they were trying to quit, then they would count how many days they've been they've been free. They they would they would celebrate one week free of smoking, one month never smoked, never lit a cigarette, right? Because they have an identity of themselves as a smoker. But you see, someone who does not label themselves as a smoker, for example, I don't I don't label myself as a smoker, and I never smoked before. I don't count how many days I've been free of smoking. I just don't think about it. But if you have smoked and you've tried quitting many times, it's hard to quit if you ha- if you still hold on that to that identity. And that's why they have to celebrate one week, one month, one year free, right? Because they still see themselves as a smoker. And that's why it is so psychologically and emotionally difficult. But if you choose an identity that serves you, for example, I am a marathon runner, then you just do. You just be a marathon runner because that's who I am. I am a marathon runner. And that marathon runner, what do they do? They practice half marathons every morning. That's what we do. That's what I do because I am a marathon runner. And so the identity is very important. If you have received a diagnosis, you take that diagnosis and you say, thank you for giving me clarity on part of what's been happening in my life as a result of this event. Thank you for that clarity. However, I am not my diagnosis. I am not my mental health, mental illness. I am not a victim. Because the, every, the words that come after the statement, I am, are truly very powerful. We may not be saying it verbally like I am right now. I'm talking out loud. We may not be saying it out loud. But remember, subconsciously, we are saying things because we are meaning-making machines. So who do you want to be? Every decision we make from now on, every decision we want to let into our subconscious mind, it's good to make it from the becoming self, not from the static self of this is who I am and I can't change it, but from the becoming self of who do I want to become? And then therefore, that's who I am right now. Wow. You know, and you're right, because one of the things I always say is my mental illness does not define who I am, because I, even though I was diagnosed with PTSD, I don't label myself as PTSD. It's just part of my story, which is why I always say when I speak to people, I self-disclose, I have PTSD, because I feel like when I use the word self-disclose, I'm not identifying as someone who has PTSD. It's just merely a piece of who I am. Understood. When okay, so the 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 statement of I am self-disclosing, that in and of itself implies that I have to make an intent to disclose because it's not okay without my permission to disclose it. 
Whereas, for example, I'm Chinese. We wouldn't, I would never say, and people would never say, I am self-disclosing that I'm Chinese. Or I, or for example, um, I have a, I went to college. I went to college for my PhD. I would, we would never say I'm self-disclosing that I was once a college student because those things don't carry any weight. But the fact that subconsciously we feel that we have to have that extra step, I'm self-disclosing, means that it carries an emotional and a mental weight subconsciously. Right. So not only is, you can say that, that is just a part of my story. Or you can see that it's not even my story at all. It is something that happened in my past, but I can see the gratitude in it. Wow. See, the reason I use self-disclose is because with ADA, if you don't share that you have a mental illness, there's a lot of red tape, as I like to call it. So what would be the appropriate wording to use so let's say your employer does know you have a mental illness, but it doesn't identify you have that mental illness, if that makes sense. See, that's the thing. In order for, in order for one to get there, they have to have that mindset so strong, that belief so strong in order to implement what I'm saying. It has to already be that strong. And it's not enough to have a cognitive understanding of it. Just to say that, yeah, I know that it's not my, just to say that, just simply saying that I am not my mental illness, I am not my diagnosis. There's the first level of understanding, which is just cognitive level of understanding, which is an intellectual part. Yeah, I know I'm not my diagnosis, but until it goes, moves from head to heart and it moves from heart to hand, that's when we truly, truly have owned that mindset. And that's a really hard one to describe. It's really hard to describe what that feels like and what that looks like. But when you get there, you will know. Right? And so one thing that I have about these meetings, it's kind of like AA, where they, where they give you kind of like a script of here's what you got to say, here's what you got to disclose, and here's the way you got to disclose it. The thing, the thing about those, those, those meetings is that there's a culture around trying to overcome in that way in their way there's there's a culture around here's what you, here are the steps right and then everybody's in the room and they're they're disclosing and they're disclosing right but the piece that's missing are the pieces that we were talking about earlier right with that level of awareness that level of belief that level of mindset and it's really difficult to take someone by the hand and move them there, it's very difficult to do that until they've had that understanding of it is possible, right? And that it does exist, right? And I'm not, not knocking them, right? I'm not knocking them or saying anything bad about meetings like that. But what I am saying is that sometimes, like I've, I've, and I've met a lot of trauma people who've experienced a lot of trauma throughout their childhood or adolescence and they are in therapy for the rest of their life or for decades and decades and what i'm saying is that our minds are very what we call there's something called neuroplasticity and we say in neuroscience we say that our minds are plastic which it doesn't mean that we're made of plastic what plastic means is that they're not it's not fixed 
right? Neurons have the capacity to adopt, to grow and expand outside of what they were when, when we were born, you know, and it's an incredible adoptive mechanism. And so it doesn't take a whole lifetime or a decade or a year to have a different perspective and change our, the course of our life. So why then are some people taking art in counseling or in therapy their whole life? Because it's these truths that are missing. The truths that I've been alluding to, that I've been, that I just started talking about, those are principles, are, are truths. It's the essence of the way the universe works. It's the essence of life. And, and a lot of these meetings don't, they're not principles-based. They are strategy-based or tactical know like get up make sure you check this off today did you do this this morning did you right those are tactics and but what i'm talking about today is very principles based it's very truth based and that's what's been missing in counseling or therapies that you know have people keep coming back keep coming back if that makes sense it does because I'll be completely transparent. That's part of the reason why I created the Be Daring Foundation because the counseling was helping me with the clinical side of my mental illness, but I did not know how to live life because you know I was going to school at the time. I was completing my master's degree. Um, I was planning my first mental health summit and I was stuck because they were helping me unravel the ball of yarn as he called it, but they weren't helping me live life. And so I started building my own roadmap. And that roadmap is actually what saved my life because I actually contemplated suicide when I was first diagnosed because I had people saying, you're, you know, you're crazy. I can't be friends with you anymore. And so you're right. Having those negative energies in a sense coming at me, my only out at the time I felt was committing suicide. I mean, I'm still here, so that didn't happen, but I had got so far down the rabbit hole because I didn't know how to live life and I didn't know how to handle my, my diagnosis and my mental illness. Yeah, and you don't, and it, this happens in other avenues of life as well. If you look at the education system, the traditional education, education system as a whole, they are programmed, it's programming us and setting us up to fail because the education system doesn't teach us how to think. It just teaches us what to think. And then we spend so much time in school, through college, through high school, elementary school. We spend so much time in the classroom. And then when that period has ended and they give you your diploma or your degree, they don't teach you how to navigate life. They don't teach you how to take your knowledge, how to package it, how to organize it. They don't teach you how to make money. They don't teach you how to survive. They don't teach you how to thrive or succeed. You know, they just say, okay, good luck, go and make something of your life right now, right? And so the thing is with a lot of coaching, therapy, counseling, it's really the same thing because they've also been trained by that system. You know, therapists, you know, RCC, whatever designation they have, they've been trained by that system. And so the system teaches them, this is how you do therapy. You have to take them through this process. Then they go A, B, C, D, E, and then you ask them this. And then, and then, and then so there's, there's a replicable system, but does it equip them for independence? Does it equip them to be free? Does it equip them 
to be authentic? Does it equip them to know the truth and to know how to seek it? Does it equip them for the level of self-awareness that they need? Does it equip them with a mind to be able to think independently and to break through confines of conformity? Does it equip us to do those things? Or does it equip us just to be like everyone else? And those are the truths that I'm talking about. And I've been in that system for nine years, three university degrees, nine years. And the only thing I knew how to do outside of after my PhD was get a job, either through going through job postings or networking like everyone else. <laughs> all right. That was the only thing I knew. And it's scary for almost all students. And so we are students, even though you're, if you're not in college right now, you're still students. You're a student of life. Right? We are constantly needing to learn and to expand. But a lot of times we don't know what to learn or that we can learn because it's keeping us stuck. That system is keeping us stuck on tactics and strategies. Right? Wow. <laughs> that's, that's the that's the reason why what i'm saying for this past uh, 45 minutes was it 45 oh yeah 45 minutes that's why if you're listening to this and what i've and and for the past 45 minutes and it makes sense to you or it resonates with you or you go oh my gosh or you have one if you say something like that oh my goodness or something like that reaction to yourself the reason why you have that reaction is because sub like deep deep inside you kind of already know it but it just hasn't been extracted from you. Nobody's been brave enough. Nobody's been aware enough. And nobody's been um, present enough to speak the truth in your life. That's why. If you're experiencing this for the first time, that's why. There's not a lot of truth speakers out there. And I'm, I, I am I'm declaring that I'm, I'm one of them. But that's because I chose to be one of them, like a truth speaker, not a conformist. Right? And, and, and what I'm saying, I didn't make it up. I didn't make any of this up because they are the truth and the truth doesn't need consensus. The truth doesn't need you to believe in it in order, to be, in order for it to be true. It is true because it's truth. And so what you're feeling right now, the movement you feel when you hear our, this conversation for the past 45 minutes, that's what the truth does. It's an eye opener. That's how I look at it. It's an eye opener because, you know, we're all trying to find ways to survive in life, whether it's being diagnosed with ADHD, PTSD, bipolar, schizophrenia, anxiety, depression, whatever you know, you may be tackling in life. And I think that's the hardest part is for how do I build that roadmap? How do I break down those barriers, get past those stigmas? And I think this conversation today is, is a great way for people to start by, by understanding the truth and how our brains work in a, in a short time, because I know there's a lot we can learn about the brain. And so, you know, as we wrap things up, I just want to say thank you so much for, for joining us and being a part of our, our podcast today. I always ask my guests, what's one piece of advice you'd like to give our listeners before we sign off? <laughs> <laughs> I say, invest in your mind. 
because everything that you have in your life right now and the things that you don't have in your life right now is all a result of your best thinking. So if you invest from your purse into your mind, then your mind will invest back into your purse, right? So invest in your mind. It will change your life and it will make you more than just a living. So when you do that, it's all around, first of all, stop saying, I'm just trying to, trying to find a way to survive. Stop trying to survive because you were already doing it. We are living, breathing, talking, eating right now. We live in a home. We are living in abundance. So we already are surviving. So what do you mean that we're trying to survive? We already are surviving. If you understand Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we are not at the bottom of that pyramid. If you're listening to this right now, you're sitting in front of a computer. You have internet access. That's not the bottom of the pyramid. You are already past surviving. We all have access to healthy food. We all have access to clean water, clean air. And I've been to countries that don't have that access. I have been. Three years ago, I was in Uganda. They are trying to survive. We are not trying to survive. So stop telling ourselves that we're trying to find our way to survive. Instead, find your way to thrive. You're right. Thrive, not survive. I'm actually going to put that on your um, podcast in the description. Thrive, not survive, because I think that's so important for us to continue to thrive, be successful. Because when I hear the word successful, if you fail, then you're not successful. Yes, you are. You just had a bump in the road. You know, it's just a piece of that roadblock that we have. But, you know, you've, you've really provided so much good information. Is there any way if people want to get in touch with you to learn more about, um, do you have a website or an email that, that they can get in touch with you with? Yeah, of course. Uh, most people connect with me either on LinkedIn or on my website. Okay. So I, on LinkedIn, I'm just Dr. Grace Lee. If you okay. search Dr. Grace Lee, Vancouver, you'll find me. Or my website is masteryinsights.com. Okay, perfect. Well, again, thank you, Dr. Lee, for joining me this morning. Well, this afternoon over there. It's still early over here. Um, thank you to our audience who joined us today. Thank you for all of your questions. Her podcast will be up on uh, Anchor this week, so I will make sure I post that on, on social media. Again, thank you, Dr. Lee, for joining us this morning. We'll see you guys next time.